Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. We're glad to have you here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we've got part one of our conversation with Seth Hazelhoon. This conversation is all about how special operations forces operators are constantly facing speeded cognition decisions. For those that are new here, welcome. We're excited to have you today. And for those that are returning listeners, we always appreciate your support. Seth Hazelhoon, a special operations forces mental performance specialist, has been using the S2 Cognition Evaluation for a few years now. He dives into the importance of speedy cognition with special operations, how he's seen a huge increase in feedback sessions from those operators, and how they've taken the S2 evaluation, and how they apply the science to their strict training regimen. To help us continue our growth, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We hope you enjoy part one. Seth, thanks for coming on today, man. This is going to be really exciting for us. I'm excited to be here. This uh this project that we've collectively undertaken over the last four years, if you yeah. really think about the the genesis of it, if you will, has been enlightening for me, um, definitely informed the work that I've been doing, and I feel like it's pushing the field, whatever field we want to, if we want to call it sports psychology or performance psychology or specialized human performance training has really pushed it forward on the military side. So I don't think we have all the answers yet, but we're certainly starting to ask better questions. Hmm. You've worked SOCOM, Special Forces, Green Berets for a really, really long time. How long has it been now? It's been 10 years. 10 years. And for the listener, can you really explain what your experience has been like? I'll try. Okay. It's a little bit different. And you guys have been around setting up the testing and everything and Um, adaptability is something that they look for in a special operator and that kind of permeates the whole organization right so there have been like my truck is now outfitted so that when I show up to work I'm prepared to do whatever the day brings regardless of what was scheduled for that day so a day where we're gonna do some like some s2 testing and then we're going to talk to some people inside. Might turn into a day where we're going to do S2 testing. And I'm going to spend the rest of the night out on a range, helping them do whatever it is they ask me to do. So at the end of the day, officially, my job is mental performance specialist, hmm. which is a military translation of sports psychology. All the people that have my job in the in the military organization have a sports psychology background. So. They're hiring sports psychology professionals to do the mental performance stuff. And I say stuff with all due respect because it kind of covers a lot of different things. And so the experience has been frustrating. It's been the most frustrating, most rewarding, and probably the hardest thing that I've ever done professionally just because I'm stepping into something that's so foreign. I grew up as a as a baseball guy, right? Got to play some college baseball, got got to coach some college baseball, and all of us have played baseball at some level, right? And so because we've all played baseball, then I can go talk to a somebody who plays football or somebody who plays soccer or somebody who plays volleyball or something along those lines, and we can have a similar conversation about our experience in sport. And to be dropped in the middle of a special operations organization with no context 
no understanding of really what what they go through or what they do or really how they do it and said, good luck, go figure it out. It's It's been enlightening um, on a lot of different levels. So I think as far as to, like, to answer your question, what has the experience been like? <clears throat> if we're just looking at the experience of being a civilian dropped in the middle of a special operations organization and said, well, we don't know, really know what you're here to do, but good luck, go for it. It's been really rewarding because I've been able to kind of tailor my own way and through the organization and kind of get in where I fit in. At the end of the day, uh, somebody asked me that this morning, like, what do you do here? I help you achieve your goals and everything I can to help you achieve your goals, whatever those goals are. Because in the early days, I didn't know what the goals were. And so I couldn't answer the question, what do you do here? Uh, I do mental performance. And like, these guys have already demonstrated that they have well above average mental toughness, well above average resilience, well above average dedication, commitment, all that stuff. And so what am I going to do with 10 years of college under my belt that's going to tell them, you know, one of the early questions like, what are you going to tell me about being in a gunfight? College boy, <laughs> what are you going to tell me about being in a gunfight? What are you going to do? What, what do you got? What do you got? I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't have anything. Tell me what it's like to be in a gunfight. Well, these are the kind of experiences that we have. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I remember. When we first met four years ago, um, that story of, of coming out of baseball, getting your doctorate in sports performance and psychology, and then getting thrown into this new environment that is arguably the most challenging and the most demanding of, of the human performance environments. One thing I remember you telling me about your, the way you adapted was you immersed yourself in the experience. If you're going to learn what it's like to answer those questions you were faced, you had to go tangle. Yeah, and that was really... Tell us about some of the experiences <laughs> was... you th jumped into to to get that learning and that experience and you regretted it. Or <laughs> <laughs> There's been plenty of those. Yeah. I found myself learning how to fast rope one day that was not anticipated. But um, <laughs> fast rope has been yeah. you know, flying around... Yeah, we didn't we didn't do the flying part, but we were higher than comfortable on the edge of a building, and we got a thirty second instruction of put your hands in this formation, close it around the rope, swing your rear end out, and don't side, look down, and, don't and <laughs> go fast. It's called fast rope, not slow rope. Go fast. Oh. And then when we tell you to stop, this is how you stop. Uh, and if you don't stop, the ground will stop. The yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the first time. I was talking to somebody who was uh, free fall. Uh, he was in, going to be an instructor at free fall, which is skydiving, right? Uh, we were going through some of the like contingency or some of the ideas of like how do we mentally prepare somebody for all this stuff. And so I, I don't know anything about it. So I'm just asking like, how does it work? What's the procedure? What's the process? It's like, well, you got a primary shoot and you pull that, and you know you got to do this. And then I'm like, okay, well, what happens if that doesn't work? He's like, well, then you cut this and you cut that and you pull your reserve chute. I'm like, all right, that makes sense. What do you what do you do if the reserve chute, you know, gets tangled or whatever? He's like, mm, you got the rest of your life to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I found myself in a couple of those situations where I've never been in danger with anything that they do. Um, they are 
as you guys have gotten to know a couple or have had some interactions with them coming up to do the testing and you can see that there's plenty of them that are a little rough around the edges compared to your average person in the world but they are professional they take their craft seriously and when we're when they're out training safety like I've never been put in a situation where I felt unsafe about anything but going back to like some of those initial experiences that was one of the the real appeals or not appeals, but one of the the things that really helped me kind of get in is that when I showed up, the command, the people in charge said, hey, if you're going to go talk to these guys about how to think when they're doing this stuff, you better get your parts nice. out thank, there. Thank you. <laughs> you better get out there and do do it with them so that you can understand the experience. And that has been, some of that stuff has been just, I've got to do some things that I never, ever would have been able to do you know, without getting into this. And it really helped me, one, understand what they're doing, what they're trying to do, what their goals are, how they expect, what they expect from each other when they interact, like all the good, the psychology side of the performance. But it also really helped me break in with them because they run in relatively tight circles, right? Like trust is the number one commodity around there. And until they trust you, they'll be polite and professional, but they're not going to open up and we're not going to get any real work done. Like if I would have tried to bring you guys in and you're number two, no chance, no chance. Like this is weird. This is out like computer games. Come on. Like, what are we doing here? We're gunfighters. We're not going to go play computer games. What's, how's that going to help us? Are you guys familiar with narrow tracker? Right. Like sure. we introduced that. I didn't introduce it. I'd seen it at other military installations and, People were asking me for some technology, and I was like, well, this is the only one I know about. Let's go figure that out. And the guys would do it because somebody asked them to. But at the end of the day, they were always like, well, what does chasing little yellow balls on a screen have anything to do with combat? And that's a legitimate question, yeah. right, because their time's at a premium. But because I had done some of those things, I'd been out with them. I was the idiot out there with them. Uh, walking through the woods in the dark and I'm the only one that doesn't have night vision because they're not going to give me one because they don't trust me yet. And so I'm just following the black shadows through the black woods, just trying real hard not to get lost, you know, but you spend a couple nights out there with them, you know, and they're just like, whoa, man, you were like diving into the wood line and trying to hide with us and do all this. Like that was awesome. And that's all it takes is just a little bit of sweat equity, if you will, Mm -hmm. just get out and get in with them. And then, they start to see that you're genuinely here to try, just try to do your best to help them with what they're doing. And then that's one step forward. And then it's one step forward. And then it's one step forward. And then, you know, a couple of years into it, they're like, what do you got for us? Like, you've been doing this longer than anybody else. We trust you. What can we do? And that's actually how I found you guys. This is one of the, one of the guys in the organization sent me a text and said, with the link, Hey, my kid's a quarterback. We're looking, you know, it's, it's like a freshman phenom kind of situation. I've stumbled across this. What do you know about it? Will it help him? Is it worth it? I'm like, I don't I get a lot of those texts. I'm like, I don't know. It's just another <laughs> Myers-Briggs or something, you know? I'm like, <clears throat> who knows? I don't know what it is, but I'll look into it for you. And so I went to the website and I looked into it and I was like, well, this is kind of the stuff that we've been looking for. And then, you know, we I... I linked up with, I don't remember who, but I sent somebody an email and we set up a meeting and I think it was just me and the other 
sports psych that was at the same location as me. And we came down and it was like, man, this is, this is the stuff that we've been looking for, right? Because I think that, and this is what's going to get me in trouble, but <clears throat> the field of sports psychology in the military is kind of hit or miss, right? Like I always get a hard time from the guys that I work with about like, oh, you're going to teach us to breathe again. You're going to teach us to breathe, or we're going to do breathing. That's what we're going to do is just breathing, and everything's breathing, 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 breathing. And I never saw it that way. I grew up in the sport world. My, my dad was a coach. My Both of my parents were high school teachers. I got to be an, an athlete. I got to be a coach. And when I think of sports psychology, I think of how can we maximize or weaponize our sport IQ so that we can handle the situations in the game, right? And... I think that that's what S2 has done for us here is it's given the guys a better understanding of their experience. Everybody that has come back, I mean, this is all relatively volunteer work, right? Like none of them are required to talk to me. And so I have to get out and have to earn that trust and get in there. And once we got to the point where we could, you know, start to flex our muscles a little bit, if you will, and explore the space, then brought, brought you guys in or at least started to meet with you and say, hey, is this really what we're after? Bring some other people down that are familiar with the like the demand for metrics and all that stuff. It was like, yep, this is it. And so when they come back, I mean, we're at a 20% uptick in the guys that are coming back to on, on their own time volunteering. Hey, I talked to a guy today. Hey, I need to set up a time for you to get that. Like, I got my results back and like I need to know what this means. Right? Where the effort we had before, I was getting less than 1% of those guys coming back to do this, right? And so when we talk about S2 at work and the results, every single guy that's come back to talk, and we've had, I don't know, it's a couple hundred, have come back and been like, so what does this mean? And I'll start breaking it down for them and doing doing the thing. And they're like, man, you're you're describing, it's like the the baseball player example that you guys always talk about where it's like really frustrated with the stopping speed or the impulse control. I don't remember which one it was. And he's like, man, that is exactly the same feeling (laughs) that I have in the box every day, right? I get that story about this school or this event or this training or whatever. It's like, you're describing why I failed at this course. So you're describing exactly how I felt when I was in this training event or you're like, okay, so now this is real. What do we do about it? Mm -hmm. Right. So just just making them more aware of like, yeah, we have this weird computerized test that's not going to help you as a gunfighter, right? Just play the video game. Just play along. Um, we prime them pretty well, I think, to get their, their maximum effort and focus. But um, just getting them to get through the thing. And then once we get them back in the door with the results, they're all just stuck to it. They're like, man, okay, yep, this is real now. This is legit. Now, what can we do with it? Do you think that this response is because we're measuring speeded cognition, we're measuring thinking skills that relate more to what it means to be in the field and being under pressure, having to make split-second decisions? Because they're probably more familiar, I think we've talked about, with kind of IQ-based measures and concussion assessments that were 
designed to quantify and measure everyday sorts of thinking skills or from an educational standpoint, you know, the geniuses or the, those that can think a little more abstractly. This is not what we're capturing. We're no. looking at sub-second, split-second, making fast mental mistakes, having to process things at the superhuman end of spectrum. Do you think they can relate to that? a little more closely and it connects to the kinds of operational environments they can sometimes or often have to perform in? Yeah, I think that it's probably the reverse for them because they, you're right, they do get poked and prodded with a lot of psych tests, quote unquote, where whether it's IQ or personality or, yeah. or anything in between. And that, I mean, that's one of the things that that we talk about, you hear them talk about all the time is like, oh, I failed it because I'm stupid. Right. It's like, this is not an IQ test, man. <laughs> so I think part of the buy-in that we've gotten from, from the guys is that we set them up, like our meetings have set the whole system up for success because like sports psychology school, my PhD is not in sports psychology. Mine's in sport pedagogy and character education is the official title, right? So I've got a third of that degree is sports psych, a third is sports sociology, and a third is sport ethics, mm. right? which has served me well trying to figure out how to get in through the social stuff, right? And so, but in in my formal education, we didn't do cognition, right? Sports psychology is about goals and motivation and confidence and the underlying components that create those or manipulate those and all that stuff, right? And so when we get into perception speed and instinctive learning, like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know what those words mean, right? But I haven't studied those things. And so when we went through and really tried to to build the specific test for the population and and going through, I think we went through three or four iterations of the feedback, right? And then your ability to relate it to me and then my ability to relate it to them, when they get the results, one, they're competitive people. Right, and so Good when question. that when that team gets their results back, yeah. they all get those individual emails, but they get them within minutes of each other, right? And nobody wants to be in that bottom percentile, right? So there's some motivating factors there, <laughs> and everybody wants to be in the top, like the t you know the top ninety or whatever percentile. So that's part of it. There, the competitive nature drives it. But as far as like, oh, we're measuring split second stuff or we're measuring, like they don't think about it like that. I think the reason that draws them in is when we explain it to them based on the, the interactions that we've had before we even gave anybody the first test, right? Is that when we describe, hey, based on these results, this is what I think you're probably good at where you have an advantage. And this is probably what, when you have a disadvantage, and this is probably the reasons why, they're like, they relate to it instantly, mm. right? They don't think about it like, oh, I made a split-second decision today, right? right? But because we've put together a product that is relatable to them, right? Their prime value is utility. Yeah. They're crunched for time, right? And so if this is something that is not useful to them, that they can't, feel or tangible or like that I can put into action right now, they're not interested. We got other things to do. And so even though this is not like by a like traditional definition tangible, right, they can relate to it because of the way that it's described to them. And then it's like, oh, 
Because if you said, yeah, how many, how many decisions did you make in 85 milliseconds today? They're like, no, right. yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I shot the ones we're supposed to shoot and we didn't shoot the ones we weren't. Like, what are you talking about? Right. right. But it's like, hey, when you shoot a target you're not supposed to shoot, it's probably Lee in this situation, right? No, how did you know that? Yeah. Right? Like, now it's real. Right. It's real in the head. It's, it relates to their experience. And because it relates to their experience, then it's like, okay, what can we do with this? Right? Because I, they're really they're highly intelligent, right? They're very good at self-educating, and they'll do their own homework. And so all you really have to do is give them organizational structure and, like, send them on their path, and they'll run with it. But they believe in this now because... It rela- they can relate it to their experience. Whereas like your IQ test, I mean, you guys have all taken IQ test before. You hit the I believe button at the end and like, I don't know if that was good or bad. Right. 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 And that's kind of like, but you've, you've been there and you've seen these guys do the test when they get up from it. Like they're fired up. I yeah. hate that last one. I hate that last <laughs> so, one. I mean, we make the deal with them on the, on the front end, right? Like, Hey, look, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. Right. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be mad. You're allowed to swear. You're allowed to do all the stuff. You're not allowed to break the fancy computer. That's right. Right. Yeah, we've we've sweated a few times. We've sweated a few oh, times, yeah. right? And there have been a couple of times where it's like, I'll, I appreciate you guys being here. I'll take that one because he's a little extra. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been really impressed. I've sat in on a few of these feedback sessions with special forces, and you're right. When you translate the results into a language that makes sense to their responsibilities and their demands. I've been impressed with how many of the operators will, will pick out a very specific type of training in a very specific environment. Yeah. When I break down a room like this, mm-hmm. I experience this challenge. I'm less consistent in this environment and they just, they zero in very quickly. Once they understand what we're getting at here and what we're measuring, they can identify the situations and the specific experiences um, in a way that just, you know, blows my mind because they're very, they're very tedious and they're very knowledgeable of every training experience and where the, the pain points are and where the successes are. Uh, it's pretty remarkable when it, they make that connection. It really is. And that, that is something that really was kind of the driving force when we were trying to set this up because there is a consistent push for for metrics to, to show that the money that the government is spending on human performance programs and special operations is worth it, right? And that's a legitimate need. The metrics argument is ongoing in the 10 years I've been there, right? It's just ongoing. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because like we said before, all of us have played a baseball game before. And what did we all do every time we hit the ball? We ran to first base as fast as we could. Right. right. And so we have some metrics on like, mm, okay, like how fast does somebody need to run to first base to compete at the highest level of this game? We don't have a number like that for anything that these guys do. Right. right? Because there is no repeatability. There is no predictability. There aren't the rules that establish the statistics that build the analytics that we can like reverse engineer and train to. Right. And so we're really kind of left on the subjective expertise of the guys that actually do it. And the right? risks are far greater. Risks are far greater. And so they're they're going to guard that pretty closely. So when I've got them in front of a neurotracker and they're like, hey, man, this is stupid. Like, make a better argument. 
like I didn't come up with too many. We could talk about attention and concentration and, you know, mental agility, or we could stretch that a little bit, however we want. But at the end of the day with the results, like, how did I do? Well, you did pretty good. Okay. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. Right? We, but with the S2 stuff, we can get into yeah. the weeds with it. And now once they relate to it, they're running with it. And it's not everybody, right? Like I said, we're still only getting about 20% voluntary income. That That's a huge increase into what we were doing previously. And the word is starting to get out. It's a slow, you know, culture change is slow. And we're making this because it is research quality, because the data is valid and reliable, repeatable, Right, it is very specific, um, and it's hard. It's not something where they have to just meet a minimum threshold. We're looking for the top end of your threshold, and they're engaged and they're invested. And like I said, when we start talking about results, whether we're doing a whole team feedback or we're doing individual feedback, it's like, oh yeah, well, I'm even sitting with a team. Hey, some of your guys aren't very good at this, but some of them are, and they're looking at the thing and they're like. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's okay. So like now we can talk about training value, right? Because we can't really say like, oh, we we can generally assume that faster is better than slower. We can generally assume that, assume that stronger is better than weaker. Accurate is better than inaccurate. But we don't know specific levels to get them to. And so really connecting it, like we've done a little bit with some of their shooting scores, right? Right. And we, we run some, these guys shoot this drill, or this series of drills, or this stress shoot, or whatever it is, and it's consistent. So they've all had the same experience there. They're all being measured the same. And then, okay, these are the guys that have done this. These are the guys that we've also got S2 data on. Hey, Scott, do your magic box thing and see what's important. You know, like what pops and what doesn't pop. And that's starting to, guys are starting to pay attention to that now. And they're like, okay, if distraction control is really important in this, it's like it seems to be, then what are the distractions? Because like there's only one target out there and I have to shoot it. Like I'm not being distracted. And right. Like, oh, yes, you are, my friend. <laughs> right? Like why, do, why Why would you miss that target? Well, it's because I was going too hurry or I'm, I'm in too much of a hurry. Well, that sounds like a distraction. It yeah. sounds like right? it might be. I was going to ask you this. What, one of the cool things that we're starting to really turn our attention to, and I know you're thinking about it a lot, is it's one thing to assess these split-second decisions. And we've had to go through a period of time where we're we're getting some stable baselines. We've got a huge reference sample now. We're learning stuff. The translation to your training, because you're also responsible for setting up some of their cognitive training mm-hmm. and, and creating experiences to work on some of these things. How has you know, the more you've learned about speeded cognition and some of these variables that can push around, how has that started to inform uh, kind of the the drills and the experiences you're creating? And do you see this kind of continuing to evolve over the, the next several years? Well, we're hoping that it continues to evolve. That's the goal, yeah. right? Um, as far as how does it change the feedback, we can start to speak the same language a little bit, right? Like I'm getting a better understanding of their experience every day. I'm also getting a better understanding of the the neuroscience. And like for the first couple of years we talked and I kept saying strengths and weaknesses and you kept saying no, advantages, disadvantages. 
And I said, yeah, right. That's you're just being polite. And you're like, no, really, it's just advantages and disadvantages. And this is how this is related. And you went, you'd go full nerd, and then I'd say, no, 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 no. You're just covering this, and I'd get into the full nerd on the on the psychology side of it, right? Yeah. Then when they start, it's I'm convinced that now that it's advantages and disadvantages. It's not strengths and weaknesses. And we've seen that, especially with the guys that like just like any population, right? You guys do a lot of baseball stuff. Some mm-hmm. of the players are like invested and want to know all this about it. And some of them are like, I'm here to take to push the button test because somebody told me to be here, right? The guys who are really invested in it, when I go out there to train, not train with them because I'm not training with them, but when I go out there to support their training, then our feedback is a lot more pointed. Hey, mm-hmm. did you see that? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Saw it. Okay. Remember how we talked about, mm-hmm. right? Like your response flex, you're running on response flexibility and that's going to serve, going to serve you well until you hit this distraction control problem and then it's going to screw you up. This is the situation that, yep, got it tracking. All right. And then they're really good at making those adjustments on the fly, like better than any population I've been in, around. It's, but once it's like, again, we go back to the sports psychology thing where it's like, there's no cognition in just collecting HRV data, right? I've had a lot of success with HRV data when I've got the little thing that is designed to be in a clinical setting, you know, on the table hooked to your ear and you're going to breathe and we're going to get HRV ratings and then we're going to teach you a systematic breathing pattern and it's going to re- or increase your HRV and everything's, everything's good, right? The garden grows green and the colors turn bright and all that other stuff. And these guys think that's dumb too. It's good for them yeah. from a health sure. From a health and wellness standpoint, it's really bad for them performance-wise. And so, but it's an effective tool to assess stress responses. So I just put it on their back while they're running and gunning and watch the lights change colors. And they're like, how did I, how did I do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You tell me. And they'll go through every position. Well, I got messed up here and I got there and I couldn't find the target here and this guy and this guy wouldn't do what I told him to on this one and da 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 da. And it's like, oh, no, this works. Mm-hmm. Right. And so once we put HRV again in the context that it affects them and gave them a, a structure that they can start to use it, then they started to recognize it in themselves. And in the matter of a couple of hours, they're working harder, higher, higher heart rates, higher output, shooting faster. Shooting fewer rounds, which means their accuracy is up, right? Mm-hmm. And communicating more effectively. And those are all measurable things. We're getting all of that. Right. But it, they wouldn't buy into the feedback and the coaching part of it until they saw that it worked to their, and like they could relate to it. And so we took that lesson into, the, into when we brought S2 in. It's like, okay, how can we make this usable? Because this is the data that we've been looking for. How can we make it usable to enhance their training value? That's what we do. So the, I guess, luxury, I, I look at it as a luxury that I have, is that they don't have time to come talk to me about sports psychology. If I'm going to help them be better at what they do, then I have to meet them out where they're doing it. And I have to be able to plug, quote unquote, my stuff into their stuff. So again, like they don't have 10 minutes to come talk to the, the sports psych guy and then get back to whatever it is they're training on. The sports psych guy has to build the sports psych into what they're already doing. And I think that for the most part, we nailed the assessment. I think we've got the right tests in there. 
that's how it helps is that now that they understand, like, again, they're not thinking in split seconds, but it makes them feel like, oh, hey, look, your results from the zero percentile to the hundredth percentile, we're talking about 300 milliseconds. And some of those, some of those are pretty narrow windows, Absolutely. right? And like you guys are, your brains are running fast. And so like, let's let the monster out of the cage and learn how to control it a little bit. Right. And like, let's put the accuracy down if we're talking about like a shooting drill and let's just go fast, right? Like Ricky Bobby, let's just go fast. Yeah. And once we learn how to do, and then it's like, okay, now, you know, like, uh, impulse control. Remember, let's, let's do that one and we'll just play push them back and forth a little bit. Feel. And then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. cause like they're not professional athletes. Their brains are wired like professional athletes for the most part. Yeah. Right. But like their parents didn't give them the right genes <laughs> to go be professional athletes, right? Physically, but, you're saying physically. Physically, yeah. for sure, for sure. But they are very good at being adaptable, yeah. especially once they understand like what are the variables at play. They're very good at that. And so like we've got a couple shooting simulators that we've been building some assess- like to replicate some of the assessments, but now you're doing it with a rifle in your hand instead of clicking buttons on a yep. computer. Yeah. And it's like, yep, this is the one you're going to struggle with. So just, oh, I'm not going to struggle with this one. No, smoke it. And like, oh, really? Oh, and <laughs> that then is my favorite. Once they get real yeah. angry about it, it's like, all right, this is where we're at. This is, and they're like, man, how did you know that about me? Like, I told you this was going to work. Yeah. Like, um, we're not just making things up here. Like, my job is to give you evidence based training. And this is the best evidence that we can find. So, this is, of course, it works. What do we, what do you think we're doing here? And so, <laughs> we're past now, that. But now like, we're just trying to push their competitiveness around a little bit. And once they start to understand, it's like, oh, I can control this. Once I've felt it and now we're talking about the same thing, then the training value stuff goes through the roof. And like I said, we don't know what the, the goal of the training is. We're reliant on their subjective expertise because they have the experience and they're the very, very few people in the world that have that. Right? And we're not going to get it. Like... Um, objectively, right? It's going to be subjective. And so repeatable. if they say, Hey, this is what we need. All right. This is where we found it. Let's go figure it out. That's kind of been the fun part because I, you know, you see in the news now with law enforcement and this focus on and, and use of the term split second decisions, split second processing. And, you know, it gets thrown around in somewhat of a cavalier way. And when you actually study these systems and how split-second decision works, and then you go even deeper and you start interacting with the operators and the law enforcement officers are having to execute split-second decision, we always joke, I can bring any human being on the planet into my lab and I can make you foolishly impulsive. Mm -hmm. I can make you do things that you can't believe you're doing it because of the way we configure the situation, the pressure, we compress time. We, we ramp up the salience of information mm-hmm. that your brain is going to automatically process, even though you're trying not to. Split-second decisions and split-second processing is a lot more complicated than how it's portrayed and discussed and described. There's so many variables. And um, when you're talking about, you know, special forces operators and the, the stakes at hand, I mean, it is important that we pay careful attention to the demands that these 
uh, elite performers are engaged in and and try to help them and understand those demands and sh- and help them shape and sharpen and fine tune these skills. You got to understand how everyone's uniquely wired first, and then you can start shaping and and fine tuning these systems. And I love it because you have you've taken the science, which is so important to us, and you have brought it into a the most extreme real world environment, and you're using it to help them understand their performance, their advantages and disadvantages, mm-hmm. and and how to start thinking about training it. And I think we're just at the the tip of the iceberg here. I think oh, definitely. the next decade of, of understanding how to train, how to fine tune, how to create better environments, some of the virtual or augmented reality, but um, meeting some of the, the on field, if you will, or in theater kind of experiences and trainings is the opportunities to really advanced human performance in this split second time frames is, is yeah, a really that, cool place to be. And that reminds me of the other way that it's been used really effectively with me is I end up working with a lot of the instructors, right? Because the organization has its kind of own internal schoolhouse that will train a lot of different avenues of, of uh, warfare, right? Whether it's long-range marksmanship or like SWAT team kind of stuff or anything in between, or even if it's just social stuff like going out and doing all this stuff that they, they're asked to do. Understanding the it helps me build it into their training better. And now that they're starting to understand some of them, right? Some of them are still not interested because like I'll just beat you up. You might be right, but I'll just beat you up, <laughs> <clears throat> which is fair in the world that they live in. And um, they can. They, <laughs> most, yeah. Uh, they're better at it than most people. Yes. And they're more comfortable with it with most people. That's one of the fun things is right. that <clears throat> with their they're not real conflict avoidant, you know? So <laughs> if this is something that they think is, is BS, they'll call the BS. Very quickly. Very quickly. And then, but it opens the conversation, yeah. right? It's like, yeah, okay. If it's BS, then here's a rifle. Let's go to the simulator. You can do the same test with a rifle in your hand and you'll make the same mistakes. No, I'm not going to make the mistakes. Not with a gun in my hand. All right, cool. They'll run it and... They're right. Sometimes they don't make as many mistakes, but it only takes one. And then then they're like, okay, now I get it. Now I'm in. Now, now I get it. Now I get it. How do we control this? How can I get better at this? How can it happen? And so we've taken some of the stuff that, that I've learned through using S2 and talking about the data and talking about their experience. They relate with the data. And then it's like, okay, well, we've got part number one and part number two and part number four. How do we put, where's part number three? All right, well, okay, so let's build this into some of their, like, kind of direct action SWAT teamish kind of stuff. And, you know, I always go back to the old perception action coupling model, mm-hmm. right? Salience of the cues, we can play with that. We can play with what's the right response. We can change the organism. We can change the task. We can change the environment. Let's play with those things. And now we're talking about, like, okay, we can... We can put a house up with all shoot targets. You guys get real fast, like dangerous fast. Yeah, It's really fun to watch, right? Especially from up above. It's really fun to watch. And then we put one target in there that they're not supposed to shoot. Right? And they're like, well, we don't do that. We're professionals. Cool. Then we'll just put a couple of them in there. And inevitably, 
that target gets shot because they're in see target shoot target mode, right? Yeah. All their shots are right on where they're supposed to be. Accuracy is 100%. It's just like that was a bad decision. And then, all right, run it again. And what happens to their overall response time to any target that they see? It starts to get slower, yeah. right? And you and I have had this argument or discussion, I guess is probably a better word, is that like, when do we start the clock? Yeah, right? exactly. But it doesn't, like, this is where the evidence is important, right? We're, we're supposed to give them evidence-based, like, that's my task. But it's also, it's not evidence reproduced, right? It's evidence-based. And once it pointed out to them, it's like, hey, after you made the one mistake, your response time overall is significantly slower, even though we don't have a stopwatch on any of it because yeah. there's anywhere from four to 18 of them shooting at the same time. Like, we can't really capture those specific times. They're like, yeah, it is. It is. We're way slower to shoot the target they we're supposed to too. shoot. They, they can feel, feel it. it, right? And so really kind of the, I guess, the art of my position there is to take the science and make it applicable, right? Like I'm applied guy. I don't do research. I don't, I'm not really interested in being a researcher. What I am interested in is taking the research and trying to make it as applicable as possible to help these guys get Absolutely. better at whatever they say they're going to do. And because we have this very specific data that seems to be like nerd accurate, right? Research quality accurate. That's what they call it too. Nerd accurate. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> no, it, it's 100% nerd accurate. But because we can translate it into a, applicable things that they can use, again, we're back to utility, then when we start pointing it out at the training, they're like, okay, now what do you got for us? You're right. Now how do we fix this? Now what is what we hear all the time. Yep. Okay, now here's what? what we understand. We buy in. The results, man, you're, yep. you're specifically targeting these areas. Now what? And that's now what, what? We're, Right. Right. And so it's like, all right, well, let's change the conditions or let's change the, the task or let's change the environment or let's start talking about how to take your advantages and mitigate some of these disadvantages. And some of these guys just run with it. It's like they can see the future all of a sudden for a second, right? And it's like, oh, well... Yeah, I, I should think about this differently. And now we're going back to sports psychology. It's just a simple cognitive reframing, but they're doing it on their own because they're starting to understand the conditions that are creating the disadvantage, right? And because they understand, oh, these skills give me an advantage. In these situations, I have a disadvantage compared to my peers, right? For whatever that means. Then we can talk about that that calculus, if you will, I know it's not real calculus, but you know what I mean? Like they're figuring it out and they're like, all right, let's run it again. All right, cool. Let's run it again. Oh, let's try it again. Oh, let's try it this way. Let's try. Oh, there it is. Boom. And they're like, what else you got for us? I'm like, well, you kind of tap that one out right now, buddy. You're going to have to give me, <laughs> give me some time <laughs> to know, think about see, this. We see that same kind of evolution working in baseball and you probably saw it. I mean, how many hitters still... You know, there's value in getting in the in the in the cage and setting the machine at a constant velocity and just smashing the ball. And you know, you work on your mechanics. Um, but how many hitters just stay in that mode? Right. And yet, though, you know, are are very acutely aware that they struggle with the slider down and away, or they they chase a high fastball up and out of the zone. Well, nothing about sitting in a cage and hitting fastballs at 85 miles an hour right down the 
the plate yeah. is known speed, known location is, is, is going to help them with that. That's right. right. You can't will yourself yet. And so getting athletes to, to try to work on these cognitive decisions, these split second decisions with the structure and, and, you know, we, we absolutely, you know, adopt that same idea you mentioned just a minute ago, the perception action coupling, you're building better ways of perceiving the information mm-hmm. you need to perceive quickly and linking that to what you do. And you've got to build those connections, those linkages. And then we, we adopt the transfer path where you start with more controlled basic training and you successively approximate the, the actual environment which you're performing. And once the baseball players start getting a taste of these tougher drills, they're frustrating at first. You're going to mm-hmm. fail, but actually you may redefine what success and failure are. You may not square every ball up, but you made the better decisions. Right. Then they start to see the effects of that in their actual performance because they're working on things that do translate and transfer. And Yeah, you know. and that that's one of the things that as an old baseball coach, or as I say at work, a failed baseball coach, that's why I ended up here, right, is that um, like, are we practicing swinging or are we practicing hitting? Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. That's an important distinction. Like, that's, that's, right. that's an important distinction because, yeah. like, right now your swing works pretty good when you know the speed and location. Swing works like it's great. All-star. Probably going to get drafted with that swing. But that's not the swing that we see on the other side of that fence over there. And so what the it's, – it's no different than working with these military guys is that once I understood what their goals are, Right, because they like to teach people. That's what they do. And so, once they started to like understand that that I'm the, they're gonna hate me for this, but like I'm the safe space, right? Like it's okay. We can talk about these things. Then it was like, all right, are you practicing shooting? Or are you practicing fighting? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I remember going to the combatives gym a couple times early, early on, with some pretty salty old guys that did this for real. And we're doing some things that resemble wrestling. And he's like, all right, when you shoot this double leg, you got to get here, here, and here. Like, all right, cool. Like, I grew up wrestling. Like, I shoot a double leg better than most of these guys. So I get this double leg, and he stops me. And he's like, oh, your head's in the wrong, you know. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is right, man, because I got you here, and I got you here. And he's like, yeah, but I can stab you here and shoot you here and punch you here. Hmm. It's like, oh. Yep. We're not wrestling. We're fighting. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot. My fault. Right. Yeah. So, using the same kind of approaches is really all we're doing, right? And like that perception action coupling has been in the literature for decades. Yeah. Forever. And it's just a really easy way to like, okay, we can take the S2 data and we can plug it into a lot of different training models. But it's because it's, I don't know what the right word is because it's been a long time since I had to do any kind of real research, but is it ecological validity, mm-hmm. right? That's like it. face validity. That's like it. Guys are like, okay, this is correct because you're telling me as like me, I'm telling them as the nerd that this is the science and <clears throat> I took the test and I did my best and all that other, I was honest, I tried my hardest and now you're telling me the results are exactly the way that I feel when I struggle and exactly the way that I feel when I'm successful. So now this is real. Yeah. And it's like, all right, how do we play with it? Well, these are these are a bunch of different ways that we could play with it in a diff- bunch of different settings. And um, I know that you, this is probably going to hurt your feelings a little bit, but we're not really talking about split-second decisions a lot of times because 
I mean, you've you've been there when all the older guys came in, right? That are yeah. kind of still in the fight, but not maybe the first guy in the building, right? And they're like, well, okay, like this all makes sense to me, but how does it apply to me now? Yeah. I'm like, well, when's the last time you were walking down the hallway and you angry about a meeting that you just walked out of and some young guy just asked you a question and you snapped at him? Because you were mad about the meeting, and then you, you know, five minutes later, we're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have yelled at that new guy the way I did. Well, I did that three times today. It's like, <laughs> oh, see the impulse control problem, right? Yeah. Like we can use this from a, from a social setting, and they relate to it, right? Is there anything that we can make it relatable without without lying to them or stretching the truth uh, by any means, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but being an honest broker is an important thing, especially when we get because of the consequence shift, right? Like I was a little bit more open to do it with the sports world because it's just about getting them to relate to it because we get to play again tomorrow no matter what happens today. Um, so we can we have got a little bit more latitude on the sports side than we do on the military side, but um, really just getting it, it's so relatable. The results are so relatable. Even the experience, like you guys have been there for the tests, hooking up all the fancy computers and all that. And watching them go through it, and sometimes it gets a little bit intense in there, right? Yeah, I mean, that first task, I'll never forget one of our first times up there. First task comes through, they take it, the practice, wham, redo video, and it's... They turn back, and they're... Okay, and they sit up in their chair, and they reposition, and now it's go time. Because at first, it takes the buy-in. They're like, oh, really? I'm going to be pushed to my limits. I mean, that happens all the time when we talk to these athletes. We're pushing you to your limits. And they say, okay, who are these guys that are actually going to be pushing me to my limits? And then they experience it, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I knew we were off to the right start early when one of the guys that I've known for a long time, who was a little bit of a skeptic of this whole thing, he came in to do the test, and he left and we were standing outside the outside the room, and he was like, man, I know it's just some stupid point on some stupid computer test, but I wanted that bleeping, bleeping point. And I, I, how, like, that was great. That was awesome. That was what we were after. What about one of the higher-ranking higher uh, officers who came back and said, I know I could do better. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it again. He came <laughs> yes. back a few weeks later, did it again, and as his, his scores all looked the same, except the overall went down by one percentile. So mm-hmm. he said, okay, I'm, I'm tapping out. Yeah, we're good. You got it. It's, it works. Actually, you're getting a lot, of, a lot of guys. That's probably, now that we've been doing it, doing the testing at various frequencies, right? Let's try to get them in the door. Um, I think we've got over somewhere over 500 guys who have completed the test once. That's one of the things they want to do. They're like, um, let me retake that. Yeah. Because I, I got to figure it out now. Now that I know, yeah. I can. I got to figure it out now. And some of them do do better, right? And so that's where it's like, okay, if we get too far into the weeds, we're going to lose some things here, yeah. right? Because we'll see, the first time I took it, I was in the 80, 80th percentile. And the second time I took it, I'm 84th percentile. I told you I would do better. Yep, you did, you're right. You did better. Cool. We'll just leave the raw numbers out of it yeah, because you're, right. we're really talking about 20 milliseconds. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. maybe not even that much. Maybe not. It's all good. But like I said, I think that this is pushing the the field of cognitive performance in the military. I really think that this is the way to go. It doesn't meet the you know the typical military criteria, 
right? For like, okay, we did this assessment and then we did this training and then we did the same assessment and we got a better score, right? right. It doesn't meet that criteria. But we're not talking about testing the masses. That's not why we put together the test that we're using. We put the test together to say, hey, these are the cognitive demands, right? These are the, without making it a two and a half hour test, these are the most unique, much as, as much of a 360 perspective as we can get in a 45 minute assessment, right. Right? right? And we didn't just make this up between two nerds. We brought some guys in to say, hey, sanity check this, beat it up, tell us where we're wrong, tell us yeah. where we're right. When we sat down, we came down, we whittled it down to like 12. And then talking to some senior guys around there, they're like, mm, and now we're at nine measurements and yep. eight assessments. So it seems to be pretty good there. We built it to meet their demands. And so we know that these things get worse with age. We know that they get worse with wear and tear, right? Like that's it. But it's given them, on, even on the health and wellness side, it's giving them a better perspective because we know that when you got here, your brain was going really fast. Yeah. And we know that like now that 20 years later, 15 years later, you're going to be a couple clicks slower, which you're going to recognize. But if you go to the health and wellness people and take their test, they're using a different sample population to compare you against. And that's why you're not getting the answers from them that you want. Mm. And so it's helping them manage their health and wellness better, especially the older guys, because they're starting to understand that concept a little bit better. It's also helping them just from a health and wellness side. It's like, oh man, like we always thought we were pretty good at stuff, but now we have some data that says we're really good at stuff. We should probably take care of this better. Thanks for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast and today's part one episode with Special Operations Forces Mental Performance Specialist, Seth Hazelhoon. If you like the content we're putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and please share it with a friend. Follow us on Twitter at S2 Cognition and Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with our show, please visit our website at S2Cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, signing off for now. Talk to you on our next episode.